0: Sometimes you have to take poo matters into your own hands, but at the end of the day, hard conversations don't really have to be that hard. Being an athlete, my natural impulse was always to just try harder. I Just put in more miles, just work harder, do more. And that tactic just was not working. I literally started that race as a pro triathlete and I ended the race as entrepreneur.
1: Hello and welcome to shiny objects. I'm Elise Mason here with Jamie King, the voice you just heard was Nicole de founder of skirt sports, who will talk to this episode about everything from her career as a professional triathlete to how to sell your business. This episode is our next installment in a series featuring women entrepreneurs. Thanks for being here and stay with us.
0: Hi
2: Elise. Hey Jamie. We also have a very special guest joining us for shiny objects today and that's Nicole. I'm very excited to dive in and before we do get started, Nicole, can you tell our listeners who are you and where are you located in space, online, all those places? You
0: bet. I am actually recently transplanted to the little mountain town of Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Prior to that, I lived in Boulder, Colorado for over 25 years where I was a professional triathlete. Then I started Skirt Sports, which is a women's activewear brand that's changing the lives of women everywhere And then at some point in the middle, my husband and I decided we were getting old. So then we had a kid. And then last year, this is like the, this is the whole episode. And then last year, (laughs) the shit hit the fan and my business was doing all kinds of crazy things. And at the tail end, I was able to sell it to an incredible new owner. And that's when I bring it full circle and made the move up to Steamboat Springs, where I am living in what I call the in-between. I am not doing another career at the current moment, and I am letting myself rest and recover from what I just told you. it been
2: for you, and I can't wait to dive so much more into that because there's so much there to talk about, but you guys, I will share today, woo, I've just had a really big week. It has been a monstrous week in the King household. Elise knows all of this, but I have probably been so dark, missing in action, all of those things for the past week, I feel like I have been living in a bubble or some sort of weird vortex. I just moved into our first home. We now own our first home. And my son celebrated his third birthday, and he started preschool all in the same week. So that's been a big been a big thing. Life just kind of came at me like a tornado and I had a lot of hubris going into it. I was like, oh, totally. I'll be like unpacked by Wednesday and I'll like get back to work and I'm still not unpacked. But my unimportant, important news today is that you guys, I have unpacked every single box from my kitchen. There are no longer any remnants of cardboard in my kitchen. And that is my unimportant news because it feels like the biggest sigh of relief that I have had in a long time (laughs) and that's it. Yeah. That's it. It's just out of my kitchen. Cardboard. Please be out and be gone. I can't take it anymore. And that felt like a really big feat.
1: Oh my gosh. What a huge win. The kitchen is the heart of your home. Like how would you get anything done if you couldn't get your kitchen cleared out and ready to go?
2: I couldn't. I felt crazy. There were so many obstacles to unpacking it. One in which little things that you discover, oh. The insides of the drawers are disgusting. And so I spent so much time just cleaning before I could unpack. And then so my timeline just got pushed and pushed. And from a person who's a zero inboxer like myself, I'm also like a zero cardboard boxer. I couldn't rest. I was just like, I need this all gone.
1: <laughs> zero cardboard boxer.
2: <laughs> I was like, I need it gone for my sanity. <laughs> Uh, Anyways, yes. So that's very important, but also unimportant news for you today from (laughs) the King household.
1: (laughs) I love it. I have some unimportant, important news that is about my daughter who's five. And we have had her in swim lessons since she was a baby. It was probably the first activity I signed her up for. One of those mommy and me things that costs way too much and you actually don't get anything out of, but you just do because it's your first kid. And through these years of swim lessons and summers in the pool, she has been really resistant to putting her face in the water, like most kids. And just this weekend, we went to the pool and we actually weren't planning on going to the pool, but we ended up there. So my kids went swimming in their clothes. First of all, she was in a a frozen dress and she went swimming in her dress. And then all of a sudden she just starts putting her face in the pool. Over and over again, being like, mom, look, I'm putting my face in the pool. That's
0: amazing. <laughs> so in other words, she'd let it go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was a good reminder that with this kid, and this has been true of basically everything with her, whether it's potty training or not using pacifiers anymore, etc. once she makes up her mind and decides to do something, she just goes for it and she goes full in. But until she decides... There's just no chance in hell that anything's happening.
2: I'm so you know, proud.
0: Yay! I am too. And I think this is one of those things where you're going to look back. Everyone tells us who you were at four or five, six years old. You're still exactly like that today. When she's 40, you're going to be like, you were always like that. You just wouldn't do it until you made up your mind. Then you were all in.
1: <laughs> I cannot wait to be telling her that when she's 40.
0: And I think it's such great insight too.
1: I love it when my mom or other grown-ups in my life tell me about how I was. It gives you insight into your own strengths or weaknesses or challenges.
0: Yes. I love that. Well, you guys, I have some unimportant important news. Do you want to hear do it? Tell.
1: Of egg. course.
0: I kind of want to talk about dog poo and hard conversation.
1: Oh my god, how do these go together? I am on the edge of my seat. <laughs>
0: So in our new house, our next door neighbors are really awesome, but the front of their house, they headed out to various renters and they recently kind of kicked them out because they're going to do a remodel. And the renters were nice, but they had a dog that they just let sit out front all the time. And I didn't realize this until after they sitting on the front porch, trying to enjoy the the gentle breeze that was (laughs) blowing my way until I realized that all I was smelling was dog poo. So I walked over to the next door neighbor's yard and she had left the entire yard was full of dog shit. I'm not kidding. And I was like, I can't even enjoy my front porch and sitting out here with the dog shit there. And she doesn't even live here anymore. So a little backstory is that when I was in my early 20s, Tim and I were living with his brother, Tony, and Tony had gotten a Newfoundland puppy, which makes like a ton of big dog poos all the time. They're huge poops. And he let his puppy poop all over the yard until one day in this rental house in in Colorado Springs. Until one day that the neighbor who had a little girl came over. And of course, Tim's brother wasn't there. And he said, you guys, we can't even walk outside because we just smell the dog poo from your yard. And Tim and I were so pissed because it wasn't even our dog. But we went back there and cleaned up all of Tony's dog's dog poo. And then Tony came and we were like, yeah, we had to pick up all the dog poo. And he goes, but it's Wednesday. You know, I get stuff done on Wednesday. I was just about to do it. Anyway. But anyway, the reason that lays a little foundation is that I I was like, you know what? I'm going to go pick up the dog poo because I feel like I'm new to these neighbors. I really like them, but I don't want to walk over and be like, dude, can you pick up all the dog poo? You're stinking me out of my front porch. So anyway, I picked up all this dog poo. I was really grossed out right now, partly because we don't want to pick up dog poo. And, and then I was walking the dog poo bag around to the back and I saw my neighbor and he was working on the house and I could have walked by, but I knew if I did, I would be avoiding this difficult conversation with him about like house maintenance. So I turned around and I said, Hey, can I just tell you, I just picked up all this dog poo and I really don't want to put the bag in my trash container. will make it smell like dog poo for a week. And he's like, I'm so sorry. They were the worst tenants. They just let their dogs sit out there all the time. I'm so sorry. I asked her to pick up the dog poo and she didn't do it. Go ahead and put the poo in my trash can. <laughs> Oh my anyway, gosh. the message I think is that, you know, sometimes you have to take poo matters into your own hands, but at the end of the day, <laughs> hard conversations don't really have to be that hard and they're never as bad as you think. And the other person usually knows what's going on and feels bad themselves. So there you go. There it is. I love that.
1: <laughs> I love how direct you were too with that conversation. You didn't beat around the bush. You were just like, here's the situation. I'm being a good neighbor and let's find a solution here.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and that's such a good thing for me to hear because it's navigating new neighborhoods and all of that stuff is so hard. I have a dog and we don't have a yard yet. And so she's often roaming a little bit into our neighbor's property line. And I'm always like, I need to meet them so I can see how okay or not okay this is. Also, my son was raking my neighbor's lawn yesterday. And I was like, well, this is just what we're doing. And so now I'm like, oh yeah, I got to have these conversations because who knows? They could be sitting there at their window passively mad at my son or my dog. I think you're doing them a favor. That's so cool. You're scoring some brownie points. I think so too. I mean, my son, like, you know, he wants to garden at all times and he's out there with his tools, but you know, until you've met people or know what the lay of the land is, it can be really nerve-wracking to sit there and be like, "Oh, I don't know these people yet. Are they going to come out and be angry?" But then your directness makes me feel like even if they are, I'll just be like, "Okay, thanks for letting me know, and I'm sorry about this." <laughs> I've been wondering.
0: I'm going to say I think the underlying issue is that it's really everything we do in life is all about relationships. And if we can approach things positively even when they're negative, you're so much more likely to get a result that feels good.
2: So true. So true. One of the reasons that we have always loved working with you and having you in our, you know, personal networks is because you've really inspired us as entrepreneurs. And you also recently sold that and we want to geek out on the story. Can you take us from how did you start skirt sports and what was the most challenging part of that? The first part that you can remember.
0: Yeah. Oh, awesome. Well, it's good timing. I'm actually reading um, the manuscript for the book that I am writing my memoir. (laughs) And I was just reading How I translated sports genesis stories. So it's really cool. Basically, I was a professional triathlete in the late 90s and early 2000s, and I was a sponsored athlete. I traveled around the world doing swim, bike, and run events. And the products that we had available for training and racing were often sort of unitard looking outfits that didn't fit that well, that that seemed like they were actually for guys with maybe some color changes or a tweak here and there. I had gotten used to the products available, but it didn't mean that I was inspired by them. And so one day... This was during the off season in December of 2003. I was running along on the main street in Lyons, Colorado, which is this little town outside of Boulder where I lived at the time. And I was wearing my off season winter training uniform, which was basically men's size, like smaller, extra small, black, everything. So it was like black running pants that were kind of baggy and didn't fit great and a black jacket and a black beanie that covered my short hair. And I'm running along and I glanced at this storefront window. It was like a soda fountain window. And I looked at my reflection and the first thought that came into my mind was, I look like a dude. (laughs) And the second thought that came into my mind was this, I am so uninspired. I just want to feel pretty. And it was at that moment, some kind of light bulb went off and I was like, wait, why, why isn't there anything for women that makes us feel pretty? us bring our feminine side out onto the training field. And then I started going, is there something wrong with that thought? Should I care about wanting to look pretty? And and my brain just started firing just all at once. All these new neuropathways were clearly being developed because I was in such athlete mode until that moment. And it was like, oh my gosh, an idea is happening. An idea is forming. Nicole wants to look pretty. She thinks that by looking pretty, she'd be more inspired and want to get out the door. And I literally turned around. I cut my run short. I was so excited by this idea that as I was running home, it had already turned into a clothing line for women that would merge all of these different facets that didn't exist. It would merge performance, fit, comfort, and cute factor. And that was the very first day that I had the idea that I might do something that could change the world.
2: That's amazing. I mean, all of those things that you meant a woman and someone who was an athlete myself, I look for all of those things, my gear, fit, comfort, performance, and look. The aesthetic is important because the more you feel comfortable, <laughs> the better you feel overall. And so I love that That. Inspired you and and also you know that thought you know of is this okay to be thinking we're programmed to question ourselves right
0: and I really was like if I look good I feel good when I feel good I perform better why aren't we doing something about this truly I went home and I started scribbling notes that day about creating a line of active wear that would revolutionize the world of women's sports so. Yeah. You asked about how challenging was the beginning. It wasn't challenging. It was a drug. It was the beginning of the entrepreneurial journey. If you really believe in what you're doing, and honestly, you should stop. As soon as you don't 100% believe that you will succeed, you should stop because it is hard and it does take a lot out of you. But in the beginning, If you're onto something, it's just a flurry of growth, of learning, of doors opening, of stretching yourself in new ways every day. And that's how I felt in the the next nine months before I actually incorporated skirt sports.
2: I totally get that. It is a drug and so exciting when something is all your own and you're building it and you feel so empowered to take that next step. What happens after you incorporate? What was the first challenge that you faced initially? Well, three days
0: before I incorporated, something really big happened. I had spent the next nine months after that idea learning about women's fitness clothing, learning all the pieces. But I actually created a bunch of prototypes and I had a prototype of the very first ever running skirt. So of this whole idea of creating a clothing line, I focused on one thing that had never been done before, which was a skirt for runners. Because to me, that was the epitome of femininity and athleticism, like put them together and bam. And I wore it during the 2004 Ironman Wisconsin, a race that I had a good chance to win, but you never know, anything can happen on race day. And I was consumed by this new idea, so I didn't even know if I was putting everything into my training. But sure enough, whether I was running on excitement, the drug of starting something new, and all of those factors came into play, and I ended up winning the 2004 Ironman Wisconsin, wearing the prototype of what I hoped would become the next chapter of my life. So On that day, I, you know, stepped into the water in Lake Winona in Madison, Wisconsin, as a professional triathlete. During the run course, as I ran my two half marathon loops around the University of Wisconsin-Madison campus, the students and the volunteers started out by screaming like, Go third woman! Go second woman! Until I came around on the second loop and I was leading and they would see me coming. And instead of go first woman, because they already saw me once, they already knew what I had changed it. They got so excited. They saw me coming. They were like, it's the skirt. The skirt is winning. Go skirt. I literally started that race as a pro triathlete and I ended the race as entrepreneur.
2: Isn't that funny how our identities can shift? in moments like that. And my question is now, do you still wear a skirt to compete?
0: (laughs) You know, what's funny? I never compete anymore,
2: but I wear skirts all the time. (laughs) I love it. So what is your new drug of choice?
0: (laughs) You know, the business was my drug of choice for a really long time, 15 plus years. And I have experienced all sorts of body ailments that you can imagine a may have after a lot of wear and tear. And what I realized is that I'm an aging athlete. We're all aging, right? I'm almost 50. I'm 49. And I have been recently diagnosed with spondylolisthesis. Uh, A lot of people just call it spondy. But it's a often genetic and sometimes traumatic break in one of your vertebrae in your back. It causes your vertebra to slide in and or slide out and the ones above it to slide in. Oh. So I have that. It's my back. That's kind of an important part of your body that you don't want to get worse. So I'm trying to be smart and do things that keep myself healthy, but now in my life I'm much more limited to not doing high impact sports anymore because jumping and bouncing on that vertebrae is not a good thing. So, I have over the years I actually picked up surfing 5 years ago. I'm not sure if that's going to fit into the back diagnosis. We'll see. I don't live in a place where I can surf, so that that takes effort. But this season I spent 6 months being a skier and learning a new sport. And not only one new sport, there are many 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 ways you can ski. And most of them are low impact and wonderful. And it's just really helped me tap into the concept of being a beginner again. And I'll be honest, I think that's something I get off on, being a beginner. I love it. It's so fun. I love being new. I love having no expectations. And I'm not competitive in sports anymore. So I just enjoy it.
2: Oh, that's so nice. And so freeing to just enjoy the sport and not have to compete. COVID was a great reminder of that for so many of us. There were no races. There was just no competition.
1: That does sound really refreshing. How long has it been since you were a newbie with skirt sports?
2: Over 15
0: years. And through that time, we probably went through three to four business cycles where it was, you know, grow, grow, grow. Something big happened, troubleshoot, bail water, stabilize, and then grow, grow, grow. And then something big happened. So it was like we went through multiple business cycles like that over the 15 years. And um, my God, I learned a lot. I'm just going to say that. Oh my gosh.
1: Yes. They really relate to that sense of business cycles where you, you feel like you're on a certain path and then something diverts that path. This last year has been a huge example of what that can be like.
0: Can you talk about what one of those cycles was? Like we would grow and then something would happen and then we would shrink. And that was brutal. And then you go, "My god, what just happened? How on earth are we going to recover from this?" And then you, you know, somehow magically, we were able to repeat the process multiple times. So the first time this happened, I had just raised my second round of money. I took over one over about one point two million from investors in the early years, and the goal was to grow the company and sell it and make everybody money so now, looking back, I realized that you know I missed the window to do that, and what happened is I had taken a bunch of money and in about two thousand nine 2010 we had the first big shift in a business model where what i call the retail apocalypse where i don't know if you remember this but there was this thing called internet shopping and <laughs> like <laughs> we were doing it from the beginning but we had also grown what we called the wholesale business exponentially we probably had 3 400 retail stores and a lot of bigger stores that were carrying our products and You're kind of balancing that out. And what happened during this apocalypse is it was a recession, 2008, 9, 10, right in there. And a lot of the mom and pops started going out of business. And it was a really trying time for everybody, not just the stores, but also for brands because stores were not paying, people were not shopping. So we actually went through one of the first big shifts that was totally outside of our control. It was definitely tough. You know, our biggest year in business was, I think, 20, right around then, maybe 2012. And as soon as the trickle effect from that recession really hit, we had our first backwards year. It was maybe year seven or eight into the business. And I didn't know what to do because in our business, you plan things over a year out. So the next year was already sort of in the books. You're like, well, I guess we're going backwards now. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, what you do to recover, you have to take this stuff. It's like a 12-step. It's like day by day, you know, and every day you're putting out a different fire. And being an athlete, my natural impulse was always to just try harder. I, just put in more miles, just work harder, do more. And that tactic just was not working. So eventually, we had to make a shift. We cut half of our employees um, and we changed our business model and we shrunk to about half the size we'd been. And then we said, let's see if we can get it profitable. And then the next year, we were able to make it profitable again and start growing. It was crazy. So it's like you're patting yourself on the back, but at the same time, it was super traumatic and definitely difficult. You know, you we talked about hard conversations. Like we had a day literally where we had to sit, our entire staff one by one came into this conference room and me and my president at the time sat there and we basically told them whether they had a job or not. <laughs> it was like, we just, they came in and we would just lay it out. I mean, there's no other way to do it. You can't like pussyfoot around it. You had to just be open and honest and it's it's emotional. These are relationships you care about, but you learned a lot through it. Like most people who left skirt sports retained a good relationship with us. And some of them were hired back in the future um, because they still loved us and they loved what we were doing and they knew it wasn't necessarily personal. It was a reflection of the sign of the times. I relate
1: so much to that. I, I think the day that Jamie and I had to sit down with our team, this was for our failed business, and tell them that we, we couldn't make payroll the next month, probably one of the hardest emotional days I've ever had. It takes a lot out of you.
0: It does, and but you know what? It doesn't take a lot out of everyone. Some people they just have a different business approach. It's not relationship based, but you guys aren't like that, and I wasn't either. You know, to me, relationships were everything.
1: I think your analogy about being an athlete and just trying to work harder and run more miles, and then having to face the music and say, "Actually, this isn't going to work," which I think is also a skill you gain through athletics of learning to adapt and learning to figure it out on your feet sometimes, and. I'm wondering how you thought about your eventual transition out of skirt sports. Was this something that you were planning for? How did you arrive at the time where you decided, okay,
0: I'm ready to move on? I'm going to tell you something. This is so crazy. In 2019, I put two goals on a piece of paper. Every year I put my goals on a piece of paper. Every year they come true. But in 2019 I wrote down two goals. I didn't say them out loud because of the nature of them, but they were sell my business and change my pace. And in 2019, I was moving forward to sell Skirt Sports finally. I had been almost 15 years in the business. I had, you know, recovered the business 3 times I was at the tail end of the third time we'd had three growth years of profitability, a business model that worked, a huge community of women. We knew we were worth something. And I really, truly believed in my heart that I could still give my investors, who were largely friends and family, a return on the money that they had put in because they believed in me. I felt very obligated to them over all these years. And so in 2019, I hired a really awesome dude who helps people sell their businesses. We worked on our deck. We uh, tightened everything up and we got ready to sell Skirt in August 2019. And it was literally the next day we were going to go to market. There's this sort of secret black market for selling companies. It's such a weird process because how (laughs) do you sell your company if you can't tell anyone that you're trying to sell your company? But like it's a secret thing, right? So there was one item that we needed to finalize in our forecast for 2019. And we were waiting on our biggest client, Amazon to confirm their fall order and the way we worked with them for about ten years and it had never been different was that they would do what you call a commitment. And for fall, their commitment was like three or four hundred thousand dollars of fall products. And we'd ordered it for them and it was in our warehouse and we're getting ready to ship it. And we just said, Hey, we're getting ready to ship this. Let's finalize. Then we could like throw that final number in and show our third year of profitability, you know, for our potential sale. And they said, we've decided not to take the fall shipment. And we were Uh. like, what? And Amazon was doing weird things. They probably still are, but they were screwing companies over right and left that year. They were changing the way they were doing business with any brand that did under 10 million with them if they decided to. It was like so hard to figure out Amazon. And we had one weakness as a company. We had one client that was too big. So if anything went wrong with them, it could screw us over. So something went wrong with our one risk in the company the day before we were going to sell the company. And we went from a hopeful sort of somewhat storybook ending to losing more money in 2019 than we had lost in all 14 years combined. And not knowing if we were even going to survive, if we were going to go out of business right then. And so we had to pause. I had to pause. This is the first time in 15 years I didn't sleep. And we had to figure out how do we get through this without thinking like, what's next? Then can we sell the company? I was ready to kick back, you know? And instead I went to sleepless nights and we decided we were going to move all the inventory that that they didn't buy online. And we just started doing tons of Christmas time sales and super steep discounts, stuff that might be hard to recover from no matter what. And we didn't say we're going out of business, We cause we didn't have that in our minds. We were just like, let's bail water, bail water, right the ship, right the ship. <laughs> and by December of 2019, we had sold the inventory. We generated the cash we needed. I I had this big monkey on my shoulders because we had a bank loan. A lot of businesses, you know, get bank loans to finance their inventory. And that was important to us. But Tim and I personally guaranteed it. And I was like, I can't have had... The lovely joy of 15 years to have a bank chasing me down for the next 15. If we do nothing else, we're paying off this loan and then we're going out of business. It was just so much pressure and I had never felt it before. So we got through it though. We paid off the loan. We lost a shit ton of money on the PL. It did not look pretty. There was no way we could turn around and go to market and be like, hey, you want to buy our company? We grew for three years and then we had the worst year ever in history. <laughs> And it wasn't even, so, so it happened. 2020 hit and we were like, oh my God, a new year. Yay. Let's (laughs) just get our feet under us and start to rebuild again. It's going to suck, but I can suck it up for a little longer. And one month later, the entire world shut down because of coronavirus. And, Healthy companies in those first few months were going out of business and we were a very unhealthy company on the way to getting healthy again. We just ran out of a runway. We lost our chance to get healthy. We didn't have enough time. And that's when I saw the brick wall coming and I was like, I have to make a decision. I've either, I either have to shut things down or find someone to buy it for like nothing. And so I actually took the approach of doing both. And it turned out I didn't have to find someone to buy it for nothing because I found someone who really found value in what we're doing. And it was crazy the way it ended, actually. It was really nuts the way Sarah came back or came into the picture. We sold the very last unit and... It just all came together at the at that moment. And it literally was a baton pass. I, I was calling it a finish line sale and uh, I passed the baton at the final hour. And it was just like, I'm still in awe. I still can't believe it. It's so cool. That's amazing. It's
1: so lovely to hear about a woman owned business that passed the baton during the pandemic to another woman right when you thought you were heading up against that brick wall.
0: Yeah, it looked pretty dire for a while. We know what's really crazy is there's also a personal side, right? Like, what am I going to do next? I'm helping all my employees find their next path. And, you know, being a referral for them and doing all the things I can do, but I couldn't see my next path. And I remember talking to a friend of mine who does a lot of deep dive work with people. Her name's Erin Weed. She has a business that's called The Dig. She's really cool. You guys got to check her out. And I just said, should I be like figuring out my next thing? And she just was like, pause, stop, Nicole. (laughs) you, You will not be able to figure out the next thing until you let this thing go properly. And the only way you're going to let it go properly is if you put a hundred percent of your energy into letting go before really that helped me a lot.
1: What did that first day or week after you passed the baton, what did that feel like?
0: Well, it was crazy because the lead up was so dramatic and anticlimactic. Like (laughs) we were down to two employees. I had been talking to Sarah We thought we were going to get a deal done, but we knew that the best option was to sell the rest of our inventory so she didn't have to be saddled with a bunch of extra small black one-piece swimsuits, which is what we have left. (laughs) And what's funny is Skirt Sports is a skirt company, but what we had at the end was a thing I was wearing in that 2004 Ironman, which was a swimsuit. And so we got to the very last week and we had 750 units left. And Sarah, I had a different Sarah, it's very confusing, but Sarah Vernon Bruner was my uh, president. And we just said, let's plan to sell them all this week because let's sell everything we have left, every freaking unit. Because Nicole, you don't want to be shipping stuff out of your garage for months. Let's just do it mm-hmm. and be done. We'll figure it out. And so every day I wrote emails that were like, this is what we have left. Help us (laughs) buy it. I love you. You know, it was emotional. I was putting myself into these emails and every day it was like the first day we said last week, this is it folks. And half of the 750 sold that day. Wow. And then the next day, half of those sold and half. And so I had planned to be done on Sunday, August 16th. And I woke up that morning and we had 22 black extra small one-piece swimsuits left. And I knew that at some point thereafter, they would all be sold that day. And, And that's what happened. By noon on Sunday, August 16th, the last item sold. And I looked in the dashboard and I, I sent an email to the woman who bought it. And I said, I just want you to know you bought the very last one. And she said, I've been wearing your products for 14 years. I love you. And I just was like, (laughs) and at the same time, I was packing up the car because we were coming up to Steamboat to have a week vacation. Like, we knew we wanted to move here, and we had put an offer on a house, but it fell through. Someone else beat us, so we had a backup offer on it. And we're past units sold, and I was letting go, and I was releasing, right? And we get in the car, and about two hours or hour and a half into the three-hour drive, I checked my voicemail, and it was a message from my realtor. And she said, Nicole, I've got some news for you. You might want to put it on speakerphone. She said, the other offer fell through. You guys got the house. <gasps> and, when I just, and then the reception out, I couldn't even call her back. We're driving. <laughs> I start crying. Tim's like, are you sure you want to still move? What's all the tears? And I'm like, it's just all happening. Like, all happening. <laughs> oh my gosh. you have to let go. You have to end things before the next thing starts. And it's not always in your control. Like the universe tells you when that's time. And literally that week while I was in Steamboat, we announced the baton handoff with Sarah. And it was crazy because we hadn't signed the final contract, but the timing was that we wanted to announce it. And I felt really uncomfortable and I wasn't sure if we should. And fuck, we just end up doing it. I'm like, Sarah... You can't back out now. We're announcing it. And she goes, Nicole, it's gonna look worse for me if I back <laughs> out after we announce it than you. It's like okay, fine. So we announced to our ambassadors and and then the public that Skirt had a new owner and that there would be new products within the next few months. And she was gonna pick up the mission where we left off. It was amazing. Oh my gosh, what a week.
1: I was still dying. Imploded <laughs> and exploded. <laughs> And new doors opened up. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I remember getting that email. Well, actually all of those emails about the extra small black swimsuits and extra small is not my size. So I couldn't help you clear out your inventory, but, and I remember being so excited when I saw the announcement of the sale, so excited for you and so curious about what that journey had looked like. And I love getting to hear this story now from you. What was the first thing you did after you actually really, truly handed that baton? What was that moment of release?
0: do you want to know what's funny? I went and made dinner. I do remember. (laughs) Do you know why? Because we're in a freaking pandemic. I go, Tim, take a video of this. I was standing at my desk. (laughs) I literally took my finger and hit the mouse pad and that was hitting click. (sighs) That was me signing my name to the contract. I clicked it. I looked up at him and I was like, it's done. And we're like, let's go get some dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. That's the anticlimactic part. Like you do it and then it's like, okay. It's not like a door shut and it's just now shut and you moved into a new world. Then it was a transition. Then there was transition time, which was really awesome and fun and still is. I mean, Sarah and I now work together on our own podcast. It's called She Runs It. And I help her however I can. And I'm still involved product process a little bit. But what I did is I I took a a month where I I wasn't sure if I should be like trying to figure out what I'm doing next. And Sarah had some thoughts and ideas and probably still does for me. And I realized one day that I was just freaking tired. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to not work she asked me, what do you not want to do? I go, I don't want to do any meetings. No meetings, zero. (laughs) I don't even want the email that the meeting's happening. (laughs) And then she goes, okay, so what else do you not want to do? And finally I just go, Sarah, I just (laughs) want to take a break now. And she's like, then do it. You've earned it. And I did that and I'm still doing it. I realized I've been sleeping sometimes 10 hours a night. I'm freaking tired. 15 years is a long time and you burn your adrenals and you you need time to recover. you know it's not like a season where you get three months and you're recovered and let's get going on the next season. It's like a relationship. It mm-hmm. takes a while. So I thought I should have something on the books by January. And then January came and I was having so much fun skiing like I talked about, and doing all these things that are new and expanding myself that I realized I want a whole summer too. So if I could make the finances in our family work, then I'm going to take a year before I need to have something more structured. And I think it's going to come faster, (laughs) I think. But I will tell you that I'm just now starting to – feel the juices flowing again in my mind and I know that this won't last forever so I'm trying to enjoy it and not get into those phases of going what should I do next what should I do next I'm just I'm trying to let it be an organic process
1: good for you for sleeping (laughs) for playing for
0: skiing for resting that sounds so delicious you know momming wifing, like relationship nurturing has also been really important right now. And so that's kind of the focus going with the flow for a while. All I wanted to do was like, look up interesting recipes and cook. And now I'm like, I think I should get a bunch of frozen food and make dinners easy. Um, so, you know, you go through your phases. It's, it's, I'm experiencing now what they call the mud season in a mountain town. It's when you actually, I think it was made so that we could rest and recover. You know, the trails, you can't ski, but you can't get out mountain bike yet. You'll get stuck in the mud.
1: Is there something about working or being the leader of a company that you miss In particular, is there anything that still feels a little bit bittersweet, even if you don't necessarily miss having to go to meetings or really be at work?
0: Yeah, I do um, miss having something that gives me purpose. I really do. I mean, I'm living a vacation right now, you know, and that is insane. I know I need to be embracing it, but there are days, you know, I'll be honest, I think I'm also starting a menopause journey. Because I'm feeling like really weird energy shifts and hormonal changes that, you know, they're different. And having this all happen right at the same time, who knows if I'll look back and be like, good, I got it all out of the way at once. (laughs) But I miss having that purpose. And I miss the close connections with my team. I do miss a team. I believe I was made to chart my own course. I, I don't think I was made to go to work for a big corporation. So when you ask what I'm missing, I'm missing connection and I'm missing daily purpose. That's something I think we can
1: probably all relate to
0: right now, whether we're entrepreneurs or we're taking a break from being
1: entrepreneurs or we're working from home during a pandemic. Those kind of structures to our day and our relationships are so important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, they really are, especially during a pandemic. I mean, we have to stop sometimes and look around and say, this is a big, different time of life than any of us or our parents have ever experienced. So we have to remember that and give ourselves a little grace sometimes. It's hard to do, but it's important.
1: Totally. Yes. It's a daily exercise (laughs) in giving ourselves grace and giving other people grace too, because sometimes that's hard. (laughs) Very hard. (laughs) There is one question that we ask every guest, and this one is especially perfect for you. And that is, can you tell us about either your favorite sports bra or tell us a story related to a sports
0: bra? Oh my gosh. I have so many. I knew this was coming. The first one is about the fact that I used to race in a one-piece swimsuit, which you know, and I used to shove my gels down the top of my one-piece swimsuit, but there was no bra underneath it. And I'm an A cup, so usually the gels would stay in place. But what would sometimes happen is they would you know, jiggle around in there. So then they would cause chafing between my two tiny A cup boobs. And then eventually they would fall straight down into the crotch of my one piece swimsuit. So I'd be pulling gels out of my crotch. And I, <laughs> that, that is one of the instigating reasons that when I was at Skirt Sports and we created our very first ever bra, which we called the Tricks Bra, and it was made to swim, bike, or run in. That I put what we called cleavage alley pocket into the bra, and as <laughs> soon as I would tell women about the cleavage alley. It was like light bulbs going, and they're like, I always shove stuff down my bra, and I always get chafing. <laughs> so my my favorite bra, to be honest, is no bra. I still wear no bra all the time, and especially during a pandemic. And I will say, when you are skiing and cross-country skiing and downhill skiing, and you don't have need if you're an A-cup like me, uh, and then you don't sweat as bad and get so cold afterwards, but... If I had to wear a bra, I still love my skirt sports bras and I will go all the way back to 2007 when we did our first bra with Cleavage jelly Pocket.
1: That's amazing. I have this picture in my mind of you pulling gels out of your crotch and all the dudes around you being like, what is happening here?
0: And, and then putting them <laughs> up to my mouth and eating them. Yeah. <laughs> it's so <laughs> weird. Thanks
1: for joining us for another episode of Shiny Objects. If you enjoyed it and want to hear more... We'd appreciate you subscribing and reviewing us on your podcast app of choice. We'd also love to hear what you're going through. Send a 30-second audio clip to hi at shinyobjects.live, and we may feature you on a future podcast. Thanks for listening, and come back soon.